Hey, uh, li- listen, Mac. Uh, what I what I said, what I said a, a, th- a thousand times of the loot crates back in my day, they they were free, and uh, you could take one down, and they're, they were a lot bigger back then, a lot bigger. You take, you take, you, you listen here, Jack. You, you got yourself a Grand Canyon. I just call that a big long hole. It's, we used to, we didn't need fancy names back in Delaware. We used to just call things what they were. It's a big long hole. It's not a Grand Canyon. I don't even, I don't even see a cannon anywhere. It was a mini cannon. I, I yield my time. Oh, Griffin, we just got. Whoa, wait, oh, Griffin, play this link I'm about to send you that Ted just sent me for Grand Canyon music. I'm very curious what this is. <laughs> this is like real, like. You know, from the grave kind of stuff, because it's way old. Uh-oh. Yeah, Let's hear the spooky scene. Yeah, this is a Joe Biden song version of the canyons. This this is way much more his his era. Oh, no, now, listen, uh, Jack, uh, the, the Shinrock Corporation, I, I talked to the Shinrock Corporation. I, I, I told him, knock it off. Okay, I told him. I, I told him the, the, the me and me and me and my buds. We used to dip our legs in the mako, let the mako make mako drip dripping off dripping off our legs. <laughs> I, said the, I said the I Corporation. I said, Mister Heidegger, you look. I understand where you're coming from, Jack. I think you're doing a great job with the security stuff, but uh, I don't know if we really. Oh, back in my day, we used to just trust each other. We used to have a good time. Didn't matter if people carried around swords or guns. We were all on the same team. Just team Mako, baby. That's what we're doing. You listen here, Jack. I don't think you need to be restricting this just to some rich folks. We could all have some Mako poisoning. I mean, frankly, when it gets down to Mako, I'm all about supporting our soldiers. So, you know, back, back, back when I was a soldier, you used to get you used to get a free ice cream and it was a double scoop, mind you, not like the scoops they make these days. It cost a nickel. The scooper was bigger and you got two of them. <laughs> you got two of them for the price of one. And Sephiroth was a bad dude, okay? <laughs> and, that, right. and that and that was uh that was uh, Liz brought to you by uh the Liz Smith Foundation. <laughs> yeah, brought Does to you it? by uh the Joe Biden is a hologram of the Grand Canyon. I'm gonna make um, an entire mod of FF7 that just replaces Sephiroth's name with porn pop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's shit. it. That's the only mod for the entire game. Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, Corn Pop keeps talking about reunion, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I say the keeps union hugging is strong. His dead mom. <laughs> now I talked to Genova. Okay, um, that, was, <laughs> that was Joe Biden um, in the Grand Canyon. Liz Smith, we are a huge fan of you, Liz. If you want to come on the show, uh, we had a failed earlier recording earlier where I said that you are. Uh, the gamer delegate, you are someone who is bringing gaming into the mainstream of politics. And for that, I thank you. Um, but we also have some we have Ted here, Ted Anderson from Tonight We Riot. Oh, hey, what's uh, up? Oh, this time okay. I remember to press record. Yeah, this time we're recording, which is great. Also, by the way, you might want to know what here is and why we're recording. And that's because welcome to another episode of the Game Boys podcast. My name is Lux. And joining me as always, he may not have his memories, but he's got his gun. It's Griffin Davis. <laughs> that was uh, I, yeah, I rewrote yeah, the and, intro because it didn't sound great the first time. I'm, I I remember I remember how to use this gun, um, and that's that's what matters. Uh, always keep your loadouts on you. Well, I think we're we're going to talk about Disco Elysium, but I think because Ted has a limited time, we should get to uh, doing a little riff and talking to Ted, and then maybe once Ted leaves, we'll we'll go into to go talk about Disco for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that works. Um, so that's a tease for the end of the episode. Uh, people who want to hear us talk more about Disco Elysium. I know you're out there because you've messaged me. Um, 
But for now, we're talking to Ted Anderson, one of the artists, or maybe I guess the primary artist on Tonight We Riot, the new Pixel Pusher Union 512 video game about rising up and the workers taking power over their oppressors. Um, And it fucking rules. It fucking rules, man. Um, That's like the headline here, I think, is that this game whips ass. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like a bit... Yeah, totally. We're super happy to have you on. Um, it's so much fun. I've, I've been playing it and it's uh, and I'm not I'm not very skilled at this type of genre and it's providing a fun challenge. Yeah, there is something to that where like I haven't seen like a side scroller that's been sort of like buffed up with the sort of amount of like think about things energy that video games have now. Um, I think also the the level designs here, and if I may, and Ted can correct me if this wasn't his intention, but every level feels like um like a small puzzle kind of, um, and there's like a little bit of like resource management in terms of like how many bottles and Molotovs you have and like what you can do with them, um, and each each zone kind of felt more like um like a like a rhythmic puzzle that I needed to figure out rather than like me just like running through a long platforming level, uh, and I like that. Yeah, that was absolutely on purpose, and. Uh, um, so Steven, our programmer, was also the uh, you know, lead person uh, for all the level design. But we talked about it from the very get-go, um, you know, so my own history of working on platformers and such. So I worked on uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns and also Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Hell so yes! Took, so I took a lot of the lessons I learned <laughs> from that production and brought it into this one. So, you know, there's a reason why you're kind of taught the weapons in the order that you are, you're presented with puzzles in the way that you are, um, in order to make sure that, you know, you as a player immediately recognize either threats or helpful items, or, you know, when you should probably like, you know, get ready, there's a big fight coming. Yeah, a great example I would say is like on world two, you add this new mechanic of if you kill the, I guess what I would say the scab leader, then all of the scabs join you. Is that what they are? They're scab leaders or what are they? Well, like the time when we were starting to work on that level was when all that weird Bundy Ranch bullshit was going on. Sure. And so it's very much riffing on that and like riffing on how libertarians are fucking weirdos and basically crypto fascists. And, um, you know, because if you ask them, like, when is it okay for the state to just walk all over people, they'll be like, oh, the minion of the union forms. Kill them all. <laughs> yeah. It's that's, yeah. That mechanic's great. There's a bunch of little ones. One thing I love about it, speaking of this puzzle thing, is like every, and this this happened on the time when we, when the three of us streamed it on, on Twitch, um, mm-hmm. on twitch.tv slash Um, the, there's like parts where you realize that there's a way around this puzzle that just totally didn't occur. Like Griffin and I kept getting murdered by these two tanks and then I just sort of ran behind them and started hitting them with a wrench and they can't turn yeah. around. Yeah. It was just like, Oh. oh, and that is the way you're supposed to attack them. Like, so one of the things in the game that's um, never explicitly mentioned, but is always there, is that enemies all have that kind of electric blue color on them somewhere. And if it's a uh, if it's a weak spot, that's where you're supposed to attack them. Mm. So the uh, the killdozers, that's you know what they are. Uh, the killdozers, if you get behind them and peg that uh, gas tank. Um, That'll take them down real quick. Yeah. Um, oh, fucking and, game facts, baby. And one big uh, mechanic about the game that um, was unique to me, at least, was this idea that you there's a leader of your 
of your riot, but then you need to also strategically with the right click, send your troops to parts of the level and sometimes to to keep them away from harm because uh, yeah. there's a lot of like harm that can like reduce reduce your riot um and then also like as good as great ways to like um uh to kind of raid in and like swarm people so i like controlling the mob a lot yeah that, and that was something we really wanted to make sure was fun but also easy and that we didn't lean too hard on it because you can get mm-hmm. strategic with your crowd and use them to draw out, you know, or separate, you know, a stronger unit from a weaker unit, or to, you know, pull a simple flanking maneuver, or even just simply keep them out of harm's way. So you can just go chuck, you know, Molotovs or, you know, chainsaw a specific dude, not have them get hurt uh-huh. or fuck things up. Um, but yeah, we wanted to make sure also that, like, it became apparent to the player that, you know, your main character was basically keeping all their extra lives running around with them. So whenever your character died, you became another person in the crowd. And so there was never one specific hero, but the hero was everybody who was rising up. Yeah, which I think is, at least at least for me, kind of the most like ideological, well, may, perhaps maybe the most ideologically compelling part of the whole game. I mean, obviously, like, I love a union revolution and I love beating up rich guys uh, and all that. Um my favorite part is when you get to beat a level and the rich guys, they run out of the out of whatever they're hiding, their, their big building they're hiding in. Yeah. And you you have a split second to try to hit one of them before the level ends. Uh, I try to nail them every time. It's really it's like a fun little thing that I try to do when the level's yeah. over. So like under the hood, um, those guys are uh, technically invulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, but you can still set them on fire and they'll run around like crazy. And it's very satisfying. Um <laughs> But the, the armories, the reason why there's an armory at the end of every level is actually dating way back to probably the closest this country ever came to a socialist revolution. And there's a reason why we don't talk about it in history books, because it came very close. And um, what, what it was is, uh, I'm probably screwing up the dates a little bit, but it was in the 1800s, and it was the time of railway barons. And they decided that they were going to try this like anti-strike maneuver where they like purposely like antagonize their own workers to try and start a strike to see if they could just like, you know, sidestep that shit. And what happened instead is it rippled outward into a general strike that basically covered the nation. And uh, if I remember correctly, like at least in like St. Louis, like the National Guard was brought in, shelled flat like several square miles of where the strikers were at and uh, but the reason why they were able to be so effective is that there was really, or, you know, why like the National Guard, et cetera, was uh, not able to be so effective was because they didn't have like these deposits in cities where they could just like go and like, ah, oh, now we all have guns and now PS fuck you rioters. And so when you go to cities and you see these, you know, these lovely old buildings, these armories, or there's an armory district or something, that's a big fucking threat is what that building is. That building is basically there to say like, hey, you try it again, you're dead. Right. That's and fucking wild. I the DC National Armory, it's a great place to go see a concert, but now it has a whole new darker connotation. Yeah. And so like that's it was really pretty dark when I found that out too, because like I remember those buildings in pretty much any city I've ever lived in and be like, huh, oh, an armory. That's a peculiar thing to call a building. Yeah, that is <laughs> That's fucking wild. Was there any other sort of like historical like interest stuff that you picked up while you were researching for this game? 
Uh, it was all just like stuff that I was, I've always been interested in history. So I applied like a lot of the different things that, you know, either caught my eye and there's definitely a heavy IWW referencing that goes on in the game um, because they were, they, they terrified the shit out of the, the capitalists and the state at the time whenever they were, you know, at their peak. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a reason why they were much more minimalized force these days. And it's because the state and capitalists pretty much just shook hands and said like, yeah, we can just deport, kill, or maim most of these guys. Is that cool with you? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And then they did. Jeez Louise. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's like obviously a ton of history sort of baked into this game, given sort of the nature of like American labor and, and, and labor in general. Yeah. Um, was there like any sort of like, I don't know, I guess like specific kind of like, uh, historical or video game correlates that you like did you have like i guess like an influence board or something that y'all put together like a a set of things you had in mind while you were going through or was it just kind of like all sort of like filtered through your brains and whatnot uh i think it was you know a, a mix um you know of course there's always all the things you've experienced playing games growing up and everything uh i think that like artistically speaking there was uh there was one game because like Metal Slug, of course, is a pretty, you know, on the nose reference to this game. Like it's a big, um, big influence on the art style. But then there was also another one that, like, I'm trying to remember. It was, uh, oh gosh, it was another indie title, and I really want to give them a shout out because they were. If you can think of it, we'll mention it again in a second. If you could think of yeah, it, yeah, um, it was like Dungeons and something, but it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. It was like that's an indie. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember it, but like their backgrounds were beautiful. It was just this mm-hmm. gorgeous, sumptuous pixel art. And beforehand, like our backgrounds, they're all right. But like I saw theirs, and I was like, "Yep, going back, fixing everything, ripping wow. it all out, starting over." Okay, well wow. that that raises a, a, an interesting a question that I'm I'm curious about, which is we talked about this a little on the podcast or on the stream rather, but like. It took, this game was about five years in development. And so like, what mm-hmm. does five years in development like really mean or look like, or how does that happen? Like, is that, I guess it's like, is that a normal amount of time? If it wasn't, why not? Like what happens in oh, that sure. time? Yeah. So, I mean, this was a real nights and weekends game for all of us. And we were all in the position of having full-time jobs and, uh, you know, not really having the pressure of a strict deadline on us at all ever. Um, so like, honestly, if this game was something where we all had salaries and we were all sitting in an office together and this was the churned out product we were making for a publisher, it would probably take us a year and a half to have made the game that we made. Um, <clears throat> but as case may be, you know, it was more of like on a hobby scale for right. producing it. And so like, you know, I was always uh, a big proponent of like, you know, your family comes first, your mental health comes first. If you're not feeling like working on a game right now, that's fine. Um, because I don't want you beating yourself to fucking death for this game, especially when the message is one of like, you know, being good to workers. Uh, sure. So yeah, you know, there was, there was summer times where we didn't get really anything done because, you know, daycare for a lot of folks doesn't run during the summer and you gotta be a parent first. And like this game, probably with its messaging, do you think games will like like with with this amount of politics could ever be made by bigger publishers? Or is this going to be still sort of like an indie labor of love thing for like the next decade? Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't think it'll ever a game with this kind of explicit messaging will probably never 
really break through that wall. Um, I don't think just because <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of saying like, Hey, rich guy giving us a bunch of money. Fuck you. And you know, sure. you know, you know, to be fair is, you know, you gotta be your politics. That's your politics. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, there's also like, you know, rage, rage against the machine got, you know, radio play for a long ass time. They're on MTV and stuff. And so obviously someone mm-hmm. thought it was worth the, the dice roll. Um, yeah, but with Rage Against the Machine, there's a lot of people that did like explicitly did not understand like the message. <laughs> oh behind, yeah, right? like fucking Paul Ryan. <laughs> they thought or the machine was, was like a oven, or they, or they thought the machine was like I don't know a social a weird safety robot. Net. They're like they're like ah oh, yes the machine the machine that gives people things break it. <laughs> yeah, it's oh god I hate that shit. But yeah, I, th- I think that's a really good point that those things. Oh, it'd be tough to see them break into the mainstream, but we have seen like a lot of sort of left leaning indies, especially this past year. Like obviously yeah. tonight we riot disco Elysium, of course, um, even fucking untitled goose game has like a big shout out to like Call of duty war zone. Yeah. yeah, sure. Call of duty war zone, a classic, yeah. even, even goose game is a shout out to like native land rights and like the influence of capital on like Australian settlement. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, even it's, it's like, I would never have expected to see those kind of sentiments in games really very much at all anywhere. And yeah. the past like year or two, they've been popping up really regularly. So even if it can't penetrate to like the mainstream mainstream, it seems to have like started to become like a real undercurrent of a lot of indie development. Right. And I don't think that at first that kind of, um, that kind of surprised me initially that that was kind of happening. But then I realized, you know, in the historic, you know, perspective, Video games are just media like anything else. And so when the broader spectrum of folks start really experiencing these, these hard times or realizing that, you know, it's not going to get better no matter how many uh, times, you know, was it like fucking Steakums sets up an account to be like, wow, shit's tough right now, isn't it? Well, do you like Steakums? You know, yeah, it's, I, it's yes. more like, you know, there's media out there that's going to form up and it's going to be, you know, explicitly speaking to the experiences people have, the anger that they have. And I like, you know, actually, you know, the righteous anger that they have, that their life isn't what was promised to them when they were kids or promised to them in the cultural or societal spectrum that they were supposed to be able to live this life of comfort and, you know, (laughs) less worry. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be glorious. Um, So speaking of, of sort of some of those ideas, like, how exactly did this game like come about? Like, I mean, I know you, I know that you, you sort of are a, are a commie guy and, and trend that way. And I guess I've been like trending more that way the past several years, but like, how did you end up just sort of like putting together this like union shop game with that has like this, such a clear story and all this stuff. Like, how did this go from like gestating idea to like game that I play on my switch now? Uh, it started off with me just kind of, I was really into pixel art at the time, strangely enough. Uh, okay. Coming off of just playing a whole shitload of Minecraft. Um, in fact, if you want to see some of my early pixel art work, uh, you can look up this uh, this really old Minecraft uh, texture pack called uh, The End is Extremely Nigh. And, I mean, someone else picked it up and started running with it later, but like the earlier, the earliest versions were mine. Um, and, you know, I still like it. It's still a fun little pack to play with. But, uh, anywho, 
So I started messing around. I was like, yeah, it might be fun to make an actual pixel art game. You know, surely that won't take very long. Five years later. <laughs> um, and so, so I was just kind of like dicking around with it. And then I mentioned it to one of my buddies who I'd recently reconnected with and I was friends with when I lived in Dallas. Only to discover that, you know, he was a programmer who was really getting interested in making games. And so he downloaded Unity and we started toying around with it. And we quickly discovered that my initial idea of doing like a straight up side scroller but with some of the early mechanics of what would become Tonight We Riot, uh, it didn't work as a flat side scroller. You couldn't tell where your characters were. You couldn't really tell where you were trying to attack, etc. And so we broadened it out to kind of more of a Streets of Rage, Teenage, teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles style uh, brawler and it just clicked so we ran with it from there word i mean that's that's pretty fucking wild um was it easy to find a sort of crew of folks and like developer people to um like get into that like to to do this kind of game uh not terribly um you know at the time i was also you know involved with uh party world wrestling Dude. Yeah, baby. Yeah, PWR. Um, you know, all, you know, hail another one. Uh, but uh, you know, I knew a bunch of the folks there, and there was this fellow named uh, George Garza who was working security, and we got to talking about games and music for games, and he makes a lot of really amazing music, and I know that now that he makes amazing music, but he offered to make some music for the game. And I thought, you know, sure, I'll, I'll never fucking hear from you again. It's fine. You know, I know how these things are. This is a glib discussion over many beers while watching a wrestling show. And no, he sent me a bunch of, like, early versions of some of the stuff that's in the game right now, and it knocked my fucking socks off. So, um, yeah, that was the first member that, you know, really joined the team other than the programmer. And then when the initial programmer... Uh, had to, you know, bow out because he was, uh, I think he had to get like a new job because he didn't have time for it anymore. Um, it was right around like pretty much exact, excuse me, exactly the moment we got uh, nominated for an award over at South by Southwest Gaming. And so we were like, okay, this is the time for us. If we're going to try and find a publisher, let's do this. And we did, but we also were like, I don't think we can tell the publisher that we don't have a programmer anymore. So... <laughs> We went and we, uh, George knew a programmer uh, who was his roommate in college named Steve Myers. And, you know, yeah, he, he signed on what was supposed to be temporarily at first. And then like four years later, uh, you know, him and I finished the game. So, yeah. It's like, what even isn't PWR's fault anymore? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I always joke that like PWR was like this weird middle of the Venn diagram for like all of my life because like whenever I would go there it was like all of my real world friends um and then it would be like all of my socialist friends and then it would be all of my video game colleagues and friends would go to the same show and I'd see fucking everybody there that seems about right I wish I ever saw people at the show I just sit in a dark room um <laughs> but <laughs> that's my stay your, you'll stay in your that's, dark room and you'll like it that's where I that's where I excel is dark I, dark rooms of computers <laughs> You guys talked a lot about um, like uh, that you guys all had equal say on the project and sort of like the unusual. Uh, did I miss that already? Do we, we talk haven't about talked that? about the shop democracy stuff? And I'd like to. So you should yeah. definitely. I'd, yeah. I'd like um, to, I'd, 
Yeah, so that, that way that came about was again like I was a big fan of like you know the wobblies and everything, reading up on shop democracy and the idea of making sure that we never had a true capitalist managerial class within his company. And the reasons why was because I I've been in games for a long ass time. I started probably too young at like eighteen, uh, working as an intern, and it's been almost twenty years now. Um, but anyways, like during that, I saw a lot of ways that this industry just didn't work well you know there was really no top of the ladder for someone who was really good at art or good at programming or good at sound design or level design or anything you just kind of got shunted into a managerial position whether you were good at it or not and because the pay at that level was so fucking good you had these golden handcuffs on and you were just like even if you hated your job and you weren't good at it you were damned if you were going to step down from that shit because yeah yeah and I was like, yeah, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, what if we decide amongst ourselves? What if we vote amongst ourselves? And if someday we did get big enough where we did need to have people who are in managerial positions, um, you know, we'd vote amongst ourselves for who's going to be our manager and like any true leftist uh, group, they could be recalled at any time. Like, you know, they could be like, yeah, this guy's not doing a great job. And, you know, no offense to you, dude, but you're just not picking up your end of the log, as it were. So, you know, I wanted to make it so that there was more checks and balances and more equality within a working environment. And that overall and that overall like was pretty successful or did because I I guess with bigger teams like, yeah, you'd have to have managers to like move around like a team of 100. But I'm sure it works really well with like a small team. Yeah, it works really great with our small team. I think it can also be built out to work at larger Mm -hmm. teams. It's just you really have to build that into the culture of your company you can't have it be like so many game companies these you know during my career where i've always called it a kind of a cargo cult corporate culture and right. if you you know if folks out there aren't familiar with cargo cults it was like the end of you know during like so in world war ii you'd have these you know largely untouched pacific islands that you know the u.s was just you know, sailing around and building airstrips on and pretty much just leaving after they were done. But you have to realize like how shocking that was to the people who, you know, all of a sudden these giant metal boats show up and then there's electricity and there's these weird people and shitloads of food and tons of fresh water. And there's these planes and, you know, like the place is a very noisy and busy world. It's kind of scary, but also awe inspiring. And then it's gone. And, yeah, and then it just disappears, especially when you think about the fact that like all those World War Two planes had like teeth on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, crazy <laughs> paintings of like mermaids and like swords. Yeah. Didn't help. Didn't help. Yeah, exactly. So you get up with these folks, you know, worshiping a person named John Frum. And so it was probably like, you know, John being a very common American name. Someone probably got off a boat and said, hi, I'm John from the U.S. Navy. Uh, oh, where can God, we is that like here? David Frum's great, great, great grandfather? Oh, boy. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so like the way I see it is kind of like dovetailing into how video game companies work is that a lot of them just spawned out of groups of friends working together and then being like, I guess we're a company now. And then it grew. And so like a lot of that whole culture of like, let's not be dicks to each other. And then drama happens. Oh, Mm -hmm. dropping the whole not be dicks thing because I'm totally going to be a dick right now. And You know, so I've always thought of it as like, you know, if we do the things that the corporation do, then the money will flow. All hail the money. 
but yeah that, that culture it comes from it has to come from the top like down which is why it's like especially with like this whole like naughty dog last of us 2 thing which i'm sure you've kept up with um it's like a lot of people have complained about the crunch there um and then yeah. you know like the, the heads like Druckmann and people are, are just like oh it was hackers but they completely like ignore the original controversy about it Oh, where they kind of like threw some people under the bus and basically blackballed their careers for hopefully only a short time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's your position on that? Uh, well, first of all, I fucking hate crunch. Crunch is dog shit. If anything, it's just like it's two forces meeting each other. It's a publisher making demands and people who are very detached from like the production line level of creating a game being like, Oh yeah, we can definitely do that. We can definitely do that within that time range. We can we can land this game on right. September, and we'll because be- that because that's the date we like because it's a week before the Call of Duty game, not because of like production, right? Time. Or like we gotta hit that Christmas sales season, otherwise yeah. this game mm-hmm. won't recoup the fucking hundreds of millions of dollars it requires to bring in a team of four hundred to poop out a AAA title. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's. It's just bizarre to see like that happen again and again, where initially like crunch was like kind of treated as like, oops, someone fucked up. And now we've got to be here till three o'clock in the morning to push out a gold master copy of this game. And it's happening. Right. It it was a single day experience. It wasn't like it wasn't like the entire production is crunched. (laughs) Right. And now nowadays you see a lot of places where they're like, yeah, we're going to be planning on having a crunch or, you know, we're going to be ordering in food for you guys at lunchtime. It's not crunch. Right. But, you know. And yeah, or like or like it's like bullshit that um this idea that like, oh, well, we let people go whenever they want. People just choose to stay. Oh, and yeah. no, like no, that's actually the most pernicious and evil in my opinion because it just creates this like social pressure uh to, and sort of all this guilt and shame. Yeah, it just weighs uh, you down yeah. with that shit. And like you know mm-hmm. that your managers are keeping track. Of course they are. They're yeah. definitely watching who's going out the door. And so, and there's so much sort of like, it's the inverse of like worker solidarity stuff where like they keep you trapped there because you don't want to let down your buds. And it like takes this momentum for organizing and like group activity and turns into this like horrible trap. Yeah. It's like, it almost unionizes crunch. Yeah. In a weird way. (laughs) In like a weird reverse and evil way. It's (laughs) fuck. Have you ever had to do like major crunch on one of those releases, Ted, on like a Donkey Kong or something? Uh, not on Donkey Kong. We did do crunch on Donkey Kong, um, it wasn't the most brutal I've ever done. It was like pretty much stay through dinner, then go home, uh, which sucks, but it's not the worst. Probably the worst I ever did was shipping a completely forgettable game. Uh, there was James Bond Nightfire for the PC. Oh. Oh my God, this is really embarrassing because that was my last question. Uh, I was very excited to ask about Nightfire. <laughs> right, well, here we go. I played that game a lot as a kid. No shit. Okay, wait. So first of all, I got to ask, what platform did you play on? I played it on GameCube. Okay, well, you didn't play the game that I worked on then. Because here's wait. the weird shit that was going down. They, uh, they had us working, EA had us working on a PC game. That was, we were making everything from scratch. No one was really sharing assets until the end where they realized, oh my God, this is a, a fucking disaster. And um, so like the, the console versions all had 
like, you know, they had driving aspects and all these other cool yeah. things in them. And they were pretty fucking badass games. The PC yeah. version had no driving. It was cut to the <laughs> bone. And so there's like five levels in it only because there's a lot of driving in, in Nightfire. Yeah, no, it was it was a pretty much straight up first person shooter. And, you know, all so the people weird. who worked on it were good people who were trying their best. But it was one of those yeah. things where they were trying to squeeze this game out as quickly as possible. And it's so funny. That was the only game where I slept under a fucking desk and was like powered by energy drinks for like way too long. <laughs> And then that's it, your, that was your first game too, uh, right? Not, not no, technically. My first professional game is Counter Strike Retail. Ooh, yeah, because I have CS seven forty seven, a big, a big plane map that I worked on when I was a teenager. Incredible. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's really cool. Yeah, and then like my technical for an actual company game was Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater three for the PC. Where I got Yo, to, let's go. Yeah. So and I got to do the uh, custom skateboards for the uh, the skateboards. Is that skateboards for the uh, the Doom guy? Because Doom Three was coming out. The one little tie-in action there. Dude, oh, dude. Tony Hawk One and Two are coming out remastered in September. If you didn't see, I it. saw that. Yeah, it was very exciting. Super stoked for that. Um, but yeah, this this Nightfire. Sorry, one last thing about Nightfire because I mean, did you work on the the multiplayer maps at all? Ah, uh, oh shit, maybe. Be- because those maps, I it was like one of my first like just like playing shooting someone in like a multiplayer kind of oh. mode thing, and those maps stick in my head like none other. There, there's one big snowy map with a few houses. Um, and that's the um, only I, one I remember. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I barely remember it, dude. That was like two decades ago for me. And like the one thing that does stick out in my mind while working on that is that they didn't bring in a proper localization team uh, and instead tried to have us do it in-house. And because I had taken four years of Spanish in high school, they wanted me to do the Spanish translation. And the Italian translation. Whoa! So anybody like, these two are that, basically the same. Yeah, anybody who bought that game in Italy, I'm so fucking sorry. There's no way in hell. Like they That's, believe wait, did me. You just Google Translate? No, I think it's what that didn't exist back then. Oh no, it, it recently did, and so they just basically pointed us at that, and only it was like, you know, it was brand new, so of course it wasn't great. So that game probably is all sorts of fucked up with like weird, that's, terrible, that's, accidental that's so insults funny. to people's grandmothers, and you know it's that's so funny. That's yeah. so crazy. Fuck, man, I've got to have you back on so we can ask more questions about game development stuff because this is oh, yeah, fascinating and insane. Um, yeah, but let's, we, we, have, like, we got like about ten minutes left. Fortez got around to do some other cool stuff about tonight we riot. So let's get back to tonight we riot real fast. Um, sure. so like with this game, like. I guess like the big question that I, that's on my mind is just like, what is it like? Have you had time to like process how fucking cool it is? That this game exists and has been doing stuff or like, are you still caught up in like doing podcasts and interviews or like what's it's very like, much that like, I think that I just haven't really had a chance to breathe yet in the sense. I don't even have that way. Yeah. <laughs> like people like you who will leave me alone. It's uh, <laughs> uh it's mostly just, I'd say that the bigger aspect of it is that this is all happening during quarantine. And so like normally if this was like my normal life where I get to do normal shit, like I just, you know, come home and I'd answer some social media or some email or whatever, and then I'd have time to unwind. 
you know, after a day of making my day job art. Um, but I don't. So I kind of go from like one, you know, very workload heavy time of like 12 hours on of being a parent, uh, except for nap time, which is rule, which rules and is cool and long may it last. Um, <laughs> but go from that to then immediately jumping into like social media stuff or interviews and uh, it's all very cool. Like in the back of my head, I understand this is really cool. Like it could be, it could be worse. It could be a lot worse. It could be one of those things where we dropped the game and it did nothing and people didn't care and nobody wanted to talk to us. And yeah, it's well, it's certainly not topics. that. Um, and yeah, it's certainly not that. And it's really cool to have these, you know, you know media sources reaching out to us, wanting to do interviews. Uh, it's great. So I really enjoy that. I think it'll be one of those things where like after all this shit is finally passed with like the coronavirus, I'll suddenly be like having a beer at a brewery and it'll just fucking hit me. And I'll be like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, like, a, that's generally how it works like, for, 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 for most successes in uh, life. Because yeah. Griffin and I know a lot about what it's like to be successful. So we can tell you a lot about what those emotions are. <laughs> um but yeah, so it's it, that's it's just so fucking cool, man. Um, it's it's so fucking wild that you that you've been able to do this. Um, it's cool that you did it, and it's cool. It's even cooler that the game is fun to play. That's yeah. the big thing. It's like we don't just know a video game guy; we know a guy who made a good game. One of the the hard things to do. See, that's what I was. It's one of those things that's really actually pretty hard. That I think a lot of people don't understand that when you're working on a game, especially for years, um, and you've been looking at it every single day for five years you get bored of it. You get really bored of, of it. And, oh yeah. And so like with that being kind of your platform that you're trying to jump from, it becomes hard to thinking about, you know, other people enjoying your game. And so that's kind of where I was whenever it finally shipped. It was like, man, fuck, I hope people like this because I don't ever want to play it again. <laughs> and, and that's not to say that it's not a good game. Of course it's a good game. I really like it. You know, you know, I have fond memories of it. But I have played it so fucking much. Yeah. So. I, can, I can only imagine how many times you've run through those various streets and swamps and whatever factories, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's 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 really fucking wild. Um, I guess the the last question I kind of want to ask is like what um what kind of made you want to do the the art and the style and the way that you did i know you're saying you were into pixel art at the time but like was there like a more specific choice than just being like this seems cool i'm gonna do some of that well i mean it was one of those things that like i as an artist i really found pixel art to be a unique challenge uh especially working with a very limited palette of colors there's only 24 colors in the palette for tonight we riot um that, I mean, that's, you know, squeaking by with, you know, there's alpha channels and stuff. So, of course, you're going to get blended colors in there because of that. But it's never on purpose. It's never used uh, as a means to, like, shade something. So, you have to get kind of brave with how you're going to be doing separations for, like, contrast and value. Um, and so, with that, you'll, you know, I, I really started, like, figuring out how I was going to separate out a scene, uh, make the characters pop. Uh, any kind of character in the game, something you can interact with, always has like a, back, a black outline around it, so you know that that's something you can interact with. And there's a lot of these weird little rules that started cropping up as we went. That like, unlike a lot of other games, if you see something that's red, that's actually a friendly object. If you see something blue, 
that's something that you can interact with, uh, so on and so forth. And yeah, it was just, it ended up being a lot of stuff where I wanted to make sure that although we were working in pixel art, we didn't fall into a lot of the traps that I feel like aren't immediately evident for working with pixel art. Like a lot of yeah. people feel like I'm going to use every color, but everything squares. Yeah, you did a really, there's a really impressive kind of balance to this game where it, the pixel art works to kind of make things feel kind of like a little like silly and fantastical and fun, but it's not like cutesy. Um, it's able to kind of strike a real good middle ground there. That's very, very cool. Oh, thanks. Um, all right. Well, I know you got a thing to do at one, so we should probably let you go. Um, Okay. But yeah, it's been awesome you. having you on the show. Um, Hell yeah. And sometime, if you want to come on and talk about a game that you've played instead of a game that you've made, we'd be happy to have you back for sure. Oh, fuck yeah. That'd be super fun. I, would have uh, to, all I, right. I love hanging out with you guys, so it's always a pleasure. I'd all love right. to do a review of Italian Nightfire. Oh, yes. Let's please do a live playthrough of that game Let's so do I can just grimace and cry. <laughs> uh, find a copy. I will come on gladly. Uh, we'll, we'll work on it, man. Uh, congratulations again, dude. Super fucking hype. Yes. Um, and we'll talk and to you soon. Buy it. It's on Mac, PC, Nintendo Switch. It's uh, $14.99. It's worth every buck. Um, I think pers- I think I might rebuy it for the Switch. I, I like doing the mouse and keyboard, but I feel like on Switch, mm, on that screen, handheld, I think that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, this yeah. game was, although it did initially start out as a PC production, it is fine-tuned for working with controllers. So I feel like at this stage... Getting it with a controller is the best experience for the game. Yeah, I mean, if hell yeah, if I was still, if there were still, if it was still safe to ride the bus, this would be my primary bus game on my Switch, no doubt. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, but now the bus well, is scary. We'll, we'll see you in the Grand Canyon. We'll see you there. All right. Um, All right. I'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thanks, Ted. All right. Bye, Ted. All right, Griffin. Now Ted's gone. Um, I have a headache from how bad this experience has been for me. So for those of you who couldn't tell because I was talking about more than Griffin, it's because Griffin was cutting in and out of the call and it's driven him insane. It is so fucking brutal. Like my internet is good. I've switched to multiple different video chat apps. It's been happening to me all week. The call just drops every like 45 seconds, but not for a long time, just for like four or five fucking seconds. Uh, just enough for me to lose all context of what's being said. All right. Well, you want to try and take a crack at the Disco Elysium chat that we promised the viewers and see if you can hold up for it. Yeah, let's see. I mean, fuck, I'm I'm just mad. I don't know what to do. Well, um, let's let's get you. Let's turn that frown upside down and talk about everyone's favorite game that we've been playing lately. Yeah, let's talk about it. OK, so uh, um, and it's we, probably spoilers if you haven't played yeah, big spoilers. We're going to talk about the end and shit. So. The big one big difference in our playthroughs that we talked about before in the stuff that got lost is that you got your gun. I forgot to get my gun back. So you never met pigs? <laughs> no, I never met pigs. What was pigs like? Oh, my God. You would have loved pigs. What was pigs' um, deal? I'm very excited. So, so pigs is uh, a mentally unwell woman who thinks she's a police officer um and she uh she carries um uh, like a siren and a bunch of police lights on her body and she cranks them with a crank to make them go <laughs> um and she uh she has your gun and um basically there's a lot of options i had to had to get it from her but eventually you know you talk to her enough and and you, you pretend if, if you respect her and treat her like a police officer then she will eventually calm down but if you tell her she's not a cop 
that's that's the wrong way to do it. Yeah, that's fucking wild. Um, it's great though because then you then it's like it's it's nice too because then you you talk to Titus um, and and the Hardy Boys and you tell them about her and they're like oh okay that's a Hardy Boy job we'll go make sure that she's taken care of um, so it was a fun little mini story about like um, how like um, you know little little groups of commu- communal community groups can like take care of each other yeah I mean that's a lot a lot of the game okay so. So let's just jump ahead to there's the standoff outside the whirling and rags. And everything in this game leads up to the standoff, which is one of the most intense, like just tense moments in any game I've ever played or like a movie. It was so I was every decision. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I was losing my damn mind throughout that. Um but I want to know we can I just want to swap what happened to us because you had a gun for that and I didn't. And I want to know what the gun does for that section of the game. Yep. I just lost you again, bud. Um, well, but um, I guess maybe next week we'll talk about what happens if you have your gun at the end of the game. All right. So sorry about the teaser at the beginning, everyone. We're having tech problems. It's all right. Griffin and I will get it figured out next week. And next week, we will talk a lot more about the end of Disco Elysium. So stay tuned. This is just another teaser for another episode. But we're going to call here so that we can get our tech shit fixed. My name is Lux. All right. Sorry. Before we go, uh, make sure to check out Griffin on twitch.tv slash room. Make sure to check out uh, Haley, our amazing editor and producer on Instagram and YouTube at Eat Every Sound. Check me check out uh, at not even a show, check out not even a show on YouTube and check out a part of World wrestling stuff for future updates on me. Check out Wisecrack. Our newest videos have been pretty fun. And that's going to do it for us today. My name is Lux. I'm your host. Your host, Griffin Davis. Your editor producer is Haley Clement. Your internet to music by Matthew Moore. Your art by Brittany Metz. Goodbye, internet. We love you very much.